was wonderful. And today, we are going to round out this message series that I've entitled Hope for Peace. Hope for Peace. Children, before I forget, you guys can be dismissed to Children's Church. That's any children who are second grade and under. You know, in this world of conflict, hostility, and violence, there is much longing for peace, right? It's the stereotypical response of beauty pageants everywhere to wish for what? World peace, right? To wish for world peace. Well, the good news is that one day there will be world peace, As we have seen over the past two weeks, Scripture tells us that Jesus came to earth to offer peace between God and man. And God promises that Jesus will return one day, and he will literally rule the world in peace. And when Jesus comes again, and when he rules, there will be no more wars. There will be no more conflict. There will be no more fighting. Weapons of war will be turned into farm tools. Jesus is our hope for peace. But I have, I have more good news for you today as we wrap up this series. And, and the good news that I have for you today is that we don't have to wait till one day to experience God's peace. We don't have to wait till Jesus comes again. You know, hope says that things don't have to be the way they are now. Things don't always have to be the way that they are right now. And that's exactly what some of you need to hear today. You need to hear that the way things are in your life right now is not the way that they always have to be. Change is possible. You know, some of you might have grown up in a home that became a war zone when the curtains were closed. And perhaps you learned to deal with the conflict in your home by walking around on eggshells, or perhaps you learned to fight back, or perhaps you turned your back and you you left. And maybe that now, as you lead your own home, you resolve that you would never lead a home in that manner again. You would never have a home that was characterized by conflict and fighting. But yet you too find yourself having a short fuse that lashes out against those that you love the most. It doesn't have to be that way. let me show you how this is so. If you have a Bible or Bible app, I encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at several places in this book, but specifically our main text is going to be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Okay, so Ephesians was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's part of the New Testament, so as you're searching for it, you're going to find it closer to the back of your Bibles. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, or you were around when we were doing our study through the book of Luke, you will know that Jesus' kingdom arrives in stages. 
Jesus' reign and his rule, it, it comes in different stages. When he came to earth the first time, it, it came in part, but yet we continue to wait for it to come in full. This is what theologians, really smart people, they call the already, not yet, presence of God's kingdom. Right? God's kingdom is, is already present in some form, in some fashion. God does have reign in some region, some areas of life, but yet total dominion of Christ is not yet experienced here. Evil still has some reign, even though it has been defeated. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians during this already, but not yet, presence of God's kingdom. And it is that same time period, that already, but not yet, presence of God's kingdom that we are living in today. Well, the importance of this for our discussion is to understand that though we do not yet experience total peace, though there is still conflict, still hate, still violence in our world, peace is possible where Christ does reign. Let me give you a little bit of an intro into the book of Ephesians. Ephesians can basically be outlined into two main parts. The first part is chapters 1, 2, and 3, where Paul writes on the foundation of the Christian faith. In chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us all that Jesus has done for us. Right? This is the gospel, and it is upon the gospel that everything else hinges. This is the foundation. And everything that he will write about in chapters 4, 5, and 6 is based upon what he writes about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul writes how we should respond to this good news, how we should live in light of what Jesus has done for us. And so he instructs us how we ought to live. And in Ephesians chapter 4, he begins his transition. And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me just read that again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When you were a, a teenager growing up and you finally began to start doing things on your own with your friends without adult supervision, you started going places you know, without adults, did you ever hear this, something that kind of went like this? Son, daughter, boy, when you're out in public, you represent more than just yourself. You represent this family. 
you represent your church. You represent your God, right? Coaches oftentimes tell this to their players when they hand them a jersey. And they say, when you put this jersey on, you represent more than yourself. You represent this team. You represent this school. Okay, what, what are they saying in that? They're saying, you belong to this team. You belong to this family. That is a privilege that you have that not everyone has. Now, don't mess up this family's reputation. Don't mess up this team's reputation. Don't mess up my reputation by your behavior in public. Well, Paul is saying sort of the same thing here. He's telling followers of Jesus that you belong to the family of God. It is an incredible privilege. So don't damage Jesus' reputation by your sorry lifestyle. He says, walk in a manner worthy of that calling to which you have been called. You've been called into the family of God. See, we do represent Christ to other people. Right? Get this. Unbelievers, those who have not yet decided to follow Jesus and commit their life to Him, they observe Christ, they consider Christ, by observing those who claim to follow Him. Unbelievers consider Christ by observing those who claim to follow Him. As much as we would like for those who do not yet believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior, as much as we would like for them to open up their Bibles and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not going to. Their introduction to Jesus is going to be your lives. And they're especially going to pay attention to how followers of Jesus relate to one another. So when they see Christians in a church fighting, are they impressed with Jesus? When they see individuals whose lives are no different than their own, does that compel them to follow Jesus? We represent Jesus to the world. But understand that Paul is not saying that any of us are really worthy to belong to Jesus. Right? In fact, he's clear in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that none of us are worthy to belong to Jesus. Right there in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he, he talks about how we are dead in our sin, how <clears throat> we are just like everyone else, pursuing our own pleasures, pursuing our own desires. We're living just like everyone else. Right? Even if you grew up in church and you were a Sunday school all-star, you were there every week, you had your lesson uh, read and you had your verses memorized, even then, before you had given your life to Jesus Christ, you were just living for yourself. But God, but God, being rich in mercy and full of great love, frees us from our folly. He rescues us by His grace, and He calls us into His eternal family. God calls us to Himself, and 
None of us earned a spot on his team. He picked us undeservingly. Look back to the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul begins this letter in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 by writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with some spiritual blessing. No, it says with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. To be a part of God's family is an incredible privilege. Paul says that we have every spiritual blessing. We have everything that we need to live a life that shows that we belong to God. Paul goes on in in chapter 1 to talk about how God has just lavishly blessed us. He has lavishly poured out his grace on us. He was he's not sparingly poured out his grace. He did it lavishly. He lavishly gives us abundant forgiveness. He gives us redemption. He gives us wisdom and insight. He gives us his very spirit. He gives us an inheritance as his children. So surely, no one who was adopted into this family can go on living as though nothing had ever happened. Surely, no one who was adopted into God's family can go on living as they lived before. Before, we were slaves to our cravings. But now we are set free to love God and love others. Before we stumbled in darkness, but now God has shown us the light. Before we were spiritually bankrupt, but now we are spiritually rich. And with this privilege comes responsibility. With privilege always comes responsibility. And the responsibility that we have is to live as those who are redeemed. If God has made us holy, then we are to live holy. We are to live set apart. We are to live blameless. God has given us common identity as his children. He's given us a greater joy to share. Therefore, Paul is urging us to live united as a family, to live at peace with one another. Well, now consider what happens when unbelievers observe a church that is united. When they observe peaceful relationships among Christians. You know, it makes sense when you walk into a stadium and every fan wearing the same team color is high-fiving and cheering. Right? It makes sense because Sports teams often create a bond between people, right? It creates a unity when we're all cheering for the same Duke Blue Devils. Amen? Okay. (laughs) But, you know, our bond ends as soon as the game ends, right? It makes sense to see high schoolers, you know, who are all wearing gap clothes and they're all together in, in the corner and, and no one's talking to each other but they're all just texting each other on their iPhones. It makes sense to see them hanging out together 
because they have a common interest and they're at a common stage in their life. But as interests change, oftentimes our friends change. But it would make very little sense to see a group of people whose relationships are more than just based on common interests and common shared activities. It would make little sense to see a group of people choosing to relate like family, even though they're not blood-related. Right? Especially if those people are from every different age group. Especially if those people are from various ethnicities and skin colors and backgrounds. Especially if some drove out of the church parking lot in nice cars and pulled up into well-manicured homes, and other people pulled out of the parking lot in cars that they weren't sure they would even make it home. To see such a diverse group of people come together and share their lives, share their struggles, encourage one another, serve one another, that would be astounding. It wouldn't compute. And it would require such an answer. It would require... What brings these people together? What is the bond that they have to have relationships of peace and harmony and unity? Well, God intends the church to be such a display of unity among diverse people. And Paul writes of this in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 11 through 22. So now flip there to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Don't miss this. This is the foundation of the unity that Paul is urging us to maintain when he gets to chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, let me explain. Throughout most of Scripture, we see that there are two main people groups. There are the Jews, which God chooses to be his people. God enters into a covenant with the Jewish people and began with Abraham. Anyone who was not a Jew was considered a Gentile. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, would be considered Gentiles because we are not Jews. And so through most of Scripture, we see that God is in a relationship with the Jewish people. And the Gentiles, they're kind of excluded. They're kind of on the outside, right? We do see that some Gentiles do get included into the promise, even in the Old Testament. But for the most part, there's the distinction between Jews and Gentiles. But now, after Jesus has come, After his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel, the good news, God's salvation is available to both Jew and Gentile. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He's telling, he's writing to the church of Ephesus who were mainly Gentiles. And he is telling them, he says, you used to be strangers to God's promises. God's promises used to not matter to you, but now they're for you as well. They're applicable to you as well. Pick up in verse 13. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it's no longer Jew and Gentile, but it is follower of Jesus and those who do not follow Jesus. Those are the two people groups. So, all who follow Jesus are now brought into one family. Let's go on in verse 17. It says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what Paul is saying to believers is that we are being joined together. God is taking each of us and we're like a brick in the wall that he's building. In this building in which he inhabits, we are, as a church, the temple of the living God. We fit together. And Christ is the answer that unites us all. We share this common salvation because we share a common Savior. He is the bond. He is our peace that brings us together. And so peaceful relationships is rooted in the gospel. Right? That's the foundation. Peaceful relationships. If you want peaceful relationships, you must start with the gospel. In chapter 3, Paul, he says that creating peace among very diverse people, creating peace among enemies, has been God's plan the whole time. And Paul says that it was his ministry as a Jew to go and proclaim to Gentiles that this was now true. To go and share with them this good news. And he says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 that the purpose this serves of being able to tell Gentiles that they were now a part of God's family is that look at verse 10 of chapter 3. It says that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What, what's Paul saying there? Right? Paul is saying that the church displays God's wisdom. Well, how so? The church displays God's wisdom because the church is a group of very different people who come together and are united. 
and who live at peace with one another. If you consider all the attempts of mankind to bring about unity from among diverse people, every attempt by man to do so has failed. But God has succeeded with the gospel. In the gospel, God has been able to bring about people who have very different backgrounds and to unite them under one Savior, Jesus Christ. That displays God's wisdom to the world because God has done what no man has been able to do. The world should be able to look in at this church and how we relate to one another and and see that, yeah, we're different people. But yet we get along. We live at peace with one another because we share a common bond which is Christ, our Lord. So church, it is our opportunity and our privilege to show the world that there is hope for peace. See, a lot of people, they struggle to even believe that there's any hope for peace because they they don't see any evidence of it. They don't believe peace is possible. But by loving one another, by serving one another, by getting along together, we can show the world that peace is possible. We can give them the evidence. So what is it you're eager for? What is it that you are eager for? Do you want to be a part of a church that displays God's wisdom to the world? Do you want to be a part of a church that is united? Do you want to have peaceful relationships? Relationships that that go beyond, that go deeper than just shared activities and shared interests. But relationships where, where you feel free to bear your soul and bear your struggles to one another and that others will meet you and love you and encourage you and support you and strengthen you. If you are eager to be in relationships like that, relationships that are rooted in the gospel, then understand that those relationships are maintained in humility. Those relationships are maintained in humility. Look back at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And here, Paul gives us characteristics that we should be cultivating if we are eager for peaceful relationships. He gives us characteristics that fit with how every follower of Jesus should live. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, I urge you to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because we are eager 
for God's glory to shine through us to the world, then we will be people who work hard at cultivating these four characteristics of humility, patience, gentleness, and forbearance. So let's talk about these four characteristics. What is humility? Humility is the ability to point the finger at your own sin and your own faults before you point the finger at other people's faults. Humility is the ability to walk into a room and not be preoccupied with what do they think of me? But instead to walk into a room and have on the forefront of your mind, how can I serve them? So that's a test for you. After this service, when you walk into your life application group, what's on your mind? Is What's on your mind? What are these people going to think of me? Or is what's on your mind, how can I serve them? Gentleness. Gentleness is when you have your strength under control. Right? Strength under control. You know, a lot of times we think of gentleness as, as soft, like a, a soft voice and a soft, limp, dead handshake. You know? And a lot of guys are like, I don't want to be gentle. Well, if, if that's gentle, I don't want to be gentle either. But gentleness is strength under control, right? Gentleness is a father's arms that you run to, not because he's squishy, but because those arms are strong and will pick you up and will protect you. Gentleness is being tough only when you need to be and tender when you need to be. Gentleness is like Jesus. Right? Jesus, he, he calls out the Pharisees, a bunch of venomous snakes, because they were leading others astray. He was tough against the Pharisees. But then you read again where he sees a widow whose son died, and he's filled with compassion for her. He's tender towards her, and he heals her son. Jesus was tough when he needed to be, and tender when he needed to be. Gentleness is when you use your strength to serve others and empower others rather than manipulate others. How gentle are you? What about patience? Patience is a virtue, right? We've heard it before. Patience is the ability to deal wisely and judiciously with people as they sin and as they struggle and as they fall. Right? It takes patience to help someone to find restoration and to find victory. Impatience is just going to condemn them and move on. Forbearance is a lot like patience. Forbearance is the ability to constructively love people who are different than you. Forbearance is love over the long haul. It's going the distance with someone. Being patient and being gentle 
I'm sorry, being patient and forbearing means that you maintain humility and gentleness for a really, really long time. That's what patience and forbearance mean. It means that you're humble and you're gentle consistently for a long, long time. Right? Some of you might be like, you know, my kid fell this week and she fell because she was riding her bike backwards like I told her not to do. You know, and she fell and she boohooed and she boohooed so loud that all the neighbors came out of the street and were like, What's going on? And they thought that I had was like beating her or something. But you responded with humility and gentleness in that scenario. You didn't get so concerned about what the neighbors thought. You were simply there for your daughter. You just wanted to care for her even though she hurt herself doing what you told her not to do. You were tender towards her in that moment. You didn't fly to correct her. You knew that that would come later. The time to be tough would come later. You were tender, you were gentle, you were humble. And so you did well. But then later that evening, your son comes in, 10 p.m., and says, hey, can I get your help with a project that's due in the morning? And he hadn't even started it. How humble and gentle were you then? Did you respond judiciously or furiously? Right? To be patient and to forbear means that you're humble and you're gentle throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the months, throughout the years. Well, now, we all probably feel like hopeless failures. Because we all respond well in some scenarios and in certain situations, and in other scenarios and situations, we don't respond well. We don't respond with patience. We don't respond with gentleness. We don't respond with humility. Well, know that Christ became humble to serve you. He came to this earth not to condemn, but to rescue us from our selfish ways. Know that Christ is gentle. He used his power to overcome temptation. The temptation was to take the easy way out, but he voluntarily hung on a cross for the wrongs that we committed against him. Christ had his strength under control. He was gentle. Know today that Christ is patient and forbearing. He offers forgiveness each day. He offers new mercies every morning. He doesn't give up on us. He promises to complete in us the work which he began to do. He continues to use us. He continues to use us to display himself to the world. So in your failures, look to Christ. But also, take note of how God is already maturing you, how God is already at work in you, cultivating these characteristics of humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. Right? The fact that there are Sometimes that you do respond well, you do respond in a gentle way and in a patient way, is evidence that God is at work in you, right? That you 
responded at least one time this week in a manner that was patient and gentle is a sign that God has his hand on you and is shaping you and molding you. And if God can help you respond well in one scenario, in one situation, then he can help you respond well in every situation. You know, notice that this message in this text focuses on, on you. And when we're in conflict with other people, there's always more than just you, right? There's always someone else. The scripture would always have us focus on ourselves. Because that person that you're in conflict with, you can't change them. God can change them, and he can use you to change them, but you can't change them, and that's not your job. Your job is to focus on yourself. In order to be a part of a church that has unity and peaceful relationships, your job is to focus on yourself. When others are proud, you are to be humble. When others are harsh, you are to be gentle. When people are slow to change, your job is to be patient. Your job is to forbear and love them to the end. And that's the responsibility that comes with being a part of God's family. That's what it means to look like Christ. And that's what it means to show hope for peace. So what are you eager for? May you be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that God has already established in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of your family. It's a privilege that none of us deserve. Not one of us are worthy, but Father, I pray that we would take seriously that you call us to now represent you to the world. And Father, this world is desperate for hope and is longing for peace, and we have the opportunity to display to them that where Christ rules, there is peace. And that when we allow you to rule in our lives and rule in our relationships, we can show them that peace is possible, that peace is a reality. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to look to Christ and to be resolved, to be eager, to be people who are humble, are gentle, are patient and forbearing. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, now as the praise team comes to lead us, I invite you to stand and sing. This is the time for us to respond. And so, sing out. If you want to come and, and talk to me about how to begin that relationship of peace with God,
I'm up here. Feel free to grab me. Talk to me after the service. But you respond as the Spirit. Okay, uh, our Deacon of the Week is standing back there in uh, bright belief, Ned Beck. We all know him. He probably shook our hands on the way in, so please wash your hands. A okay. um, couple of announcements. Uh, need to see Fess. Uh, those guys are leaving, I think, uh, a week from this coming Monday, uh, going to New Jersey. So if you're interested in helping uh, with the Hurricane Sandy relief, please see Fess. Also, Deacon's meeting at uh, 4.30 uh, today in the large conference room upstairs, so guys, please be there. Um, over on the back, um, women's ACC basketball tournament coming up uh, Saturday, March the 9th. If you'd like to attend that, any of you ladies, uh, please uh, see Paula Henschel. Uh, the cost is $20, and she needs to have that money by June 27th. And also, Miss Lena wanted me to announce that the Women on Mission are meeting on Saturday, January 5th at 8 o'clock. Now, that's not just for Women on Mission. That's for women. And they would like to see women of all ages there. So, uh, you know, they'd love to expand their group, uh, but she wants to know, let you know that everyone is invited. And at this time, I'd like to call Brother Jim up. He's got a few announcements for us. Let me bring you up to date on where we are for uh, our trial sermon. Notice in the bulletin that you have written notice that we will have a special call business meeting on January the 13th. And this is also verbal uh, confirmation of that. So we've followed our constitution in that respect. Uh, also, it would be very important if you need to, to check your membership. Libby has the membership roles and will be at the door. So Make sure, because with our vote, you have to be an active member, 13 uh, years of age or older, to be able to participate in the vote. Okay, a couple of things I want to uh, emphasize. Some of them are in the bulletin. Others I want to mention for the first time. On January the 6th, that's next Sunday, uh, at the end of worship, after the invitation, uh, we will give you a fact sheet that will tell you about our uh, pastoral candidate. Uh, he sent it to us. He has a lot of information there. We'll go over a few things with you. Uh, he also has sent us a collage of pictures of his family and different activities that I think you'll enjoy seeing. Uh, at that time, I'll also uh, present to you a pastor-church covenant agreement uh, that we've talked about so that you'll understand what your role as a church is with our pastor and what our pastor's role is with you. Also, we'll share with you our salary package that we've agreed upon with the FAT team, the trustees, and it's also within the budget guidelines that you have voted on. So on the 6th, we will uh, have those available. Our pastor search team will share information with you about our candidate, uh, what led him to us and us to him, so that you'll be aware of that. We'll also have a question and answer period so that you can ask questions. Uh, we will give you as much information as we can possibly give you at that time. Uh, it will not be a business meeting on January the 6th. It'll just be totally information, so be prepared for that. Okay, the next thing will be January the 12th. That's on a Saturday. 
We will have a number of meetings with key leadership groups where the leadership will come in. We'll meet with our candidate for about a half hour. Uh, the main idea is to let you know him, him know you, and also as a leadership team, if you will have in your mind what your job is so you can share with him what you do and how you do it so he'll be more familiar with that. We've shared a lot, but it's important for each team. Okay, on that Saturday, uh, this is a tentative schedule, but I think it'll work pretty well, and I'll have it in the bulletin for next week so you don't forget. Uh, Fred is going to meet uh, with our pastoral candidate at 10 o'clock on Saturday. The leadership team at 1030. The financial advisory team at 11. The personnel advisory team at 1130. And so each of those meetings will be about 30 minutes. We will take a break for lunch uh, at 1.30. This is a combined group, the curriculum team, the music team, and the worship team will meet 1.30. Uh, at 2 o'clock, the deacons will meet with our candidate. At 2.30, uh, Sunday school leadership, that would include teachers, directors, anyone who has a key role in Sunday school or light group would be a good time to meet with uh, our candidate. And then the Building and Grounds Committee will meet at 3. And so our meetings that day will be over about 3.30. Okay, that night, uh, starting at 6, we will have a fellowship meal. Uh, you'll need to bring covered dish, including meat, including soft drinks. The church will provide tea, plates, cups, etc. And we will have those uh, set up and available. But during the meal... We'll have a time where anybody can meet and greet our pastoral candidate. You'll get to know him, get to talk with him, fellowship with him for a while. That'll end at about 8 o'clock. Give him plenty of time to get his family uh, ready for the night and final preparations for Sunday. Then on January the 13th, we will have our worship uh, Basically, it's going to be uh, choir and congregation, about three songs. Uh, I'll introduce our speaker. Uh, he'll do the sermon. At that point, he'll uh, leave. He's going to go over, take his family over to McDonald's, I think. Uh, we will enter into business. We will have our vote. Uh, we will probably sing about two more congregational songs while the votes are counted so that you'll know what the, the vote is uh, almost immediately. Uh, then I'll make a call to him to let him know the results. Uh, at that point, we'll go on to lag group. Uh, and if he chooses to come back at that point, and I'll introduce him again as our, our pastor. So that's the kind of thing that will take place uh, during those times. So uh, pretty much I'll keep you up to date as we get to that point. Look for the bulletin. Look for any information that comes out. Any quick question about the schedule for the next Two weeks. Uh, it will be in the bulletin for next Sunday. Yeah, the time schedule will be in the bulletin. I'll get that to Karen this week. Any other quick question? Okay, I hope you're as excited as we are, and we look forward to the next couple of weeks. Uh, at this point, uh, you are dismissed to go to Lie Group.